Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 535 with Nicole Merrill. Nicole is sharing how you can shake off the doubt that can come when you're starting to consider new careers. So you'll learn one, why it's okay not to have it figured out, two, a better way to do informational interviewing, and three, the questions that surface your ideal career opportunities. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F435. Now, here's Nicole's story. Four-time career changer Nicole Merrill excels in professional reinvention. A liberal arts graduate, she has written for four seasons and National Geographic private jet tours, taught digital communication skills to global executives, and sold adventure travel programs in New Zealand. As the former associate director of the Career Development Office at Yale School of Management, she coached hundreds of MBA students and professionals through all phases of their career transitions. Nicole currently freelances as a conversation designer and analyst at Artificial Intelligence Startup. Her human-centered approach to career change combined with a relentless curiosity about emerging career trends has led to speak engagements across the U.S. as well as Canada and Ireland. Big thanks to Nicole for sharing her time with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. It's a trying time that challenges all of our basic assumptions. However, one thing that brings us all together is our common humanity. Now more than ever, teams must come together and work together to solve big challenges. And Trello is here to help. Trello Part of Atlassian's collaborative suite is an app with an easy-to-understand visual format plus tons of features that make working with your team functional and just plain fun. Teams of all shapes and sizes and companies like Google, Fender, and even Costco all use Trello to collaborate and get work done. With Trello, you can work with your team wherever you are, whether it's at home or in an office. No matter what device you're using, computer, tablet, or phone, Trello syncs across all of them so you can stay up to date on all the things your team cares about. Keep your workflow going from wherever you are with Trello. Try Trello for free and learn more at Trello.com. That's T-R-E-L-L-O.com. Trello.com. Now, here's Nicole. Nicole, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Oh, hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm excited to have you here, and I want to dig into so much good stuff about punching doubt in the face. <laughs> yes. That's <laughs> such a good title. Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> it was actually harder to name my book than it was to him, name my child, so oh. <laughs> I'm always glad to hear that. <laughs> well, but but first, I, I want to hear about you and pinball. Um, okay. I understand you're a pinball enthusiast, and that hasn't come up much before, so what's the story here? Well, I grew up with um, my my dad really taking the lead on that. He loves pinball and, you know, didn't think much of it as, as kind of growing up that it was this weird thing that we would always try to find pinball, whatever, you know, arcade we went to or later as I got older as bars and then come to find out not everyone's as into pinball as I am, <laughs> it turns out. But I just, I love the excitement of pinball. I grew up in Vegas, so maybe it's the flashing lights and noise. Maybe that's kind of the overlap there. And it's really funny too. I'm, I'm an actually... A huge extrovert. So I love people and, and I love meeting people and being in social circles. And if I go to a bar and I see a pinball machine, I am just drawn in and cut off from everybody else. I see. So my love for pinball is is real. <laughs> well, and so do you, is there an all-time favorite pinball machine or, or what makes a, a pinball machine great versus... Hmm. 
find? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, I would say Mars Attacks is my favorite one because I think I just like the way that the machine reacts. I tend to pick machines that have uh, good multi-ball experiences. <laughs> I like to get multi-ball. It's kind of my personal quest on every machine. Some people want to get high scores. I want to get multi-ball. Okay, understood. <laughs> I'm really into you know, it. <laughs> you know, somehow there's a segue between multi-ball and career changing, multi-careers. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's lost on me, but we're just going to run with it. <laughs> and so, so you've done a, a whole lot of work uh, with career development at mm-hmm. the Yale School of Management. Yeah. And, and I'd love to hear. So that's really a cool position, being able to interact with, with many, many folks of top business talent, uh, hundreds of MBAs. So uh, could you tell us, you know, what are some themes and stories that, that you're hearing from them over and over again about their career doubts and desires and how they're navigating it? Sure. I should just clarify that was actually, I had career changed into that role. So I'm a four-time career changer. I've actually since moved on from being a career coach. I'm in a different role now. But what was really interesting about that role was that I was working with people from all over the world. So it wasn't necessarily just Americans. I was working with people, you know, from South America, from Europe, um, from Asia. And it's really interesting to be able to work across cultures because a lot of times you start to notice some of the differences, right, between cultures and how we approach things. But what's even more exciting is, is figuring out ways that were very, very much the same. And one of the things that I was discovering in that role as a coach is that uh, a lot of people across cultures have similar doubts when it comes to their ability to make change happen, right? MBA is a professional degree. It is a degree where over 70% of people are going to be a career changer. So they've already decided, hey, I want something different, right? But even though they decided that, they still kind of, you know, weren't sure. I met MBAs who would come in with, to their program committing to, you know, two years and have no idea what they wanted to do. And on the flip side, I'd have people that came in knowing for sure exactly what they want to do. And then they go through like the interview process for it, let's say consulting, and come to find out that's not at all what they wanted to do. And so it was really interesting to work with, you know, students. And also I worked with alumni to hear kind of their doubt about what they were investing in, right? They, they'd already made the decision to choose this program and to make a change, but they weren't quite sure. And I thought that was really interesting because you would think if you chose a program, you know, most people think, oh, you know what you're going to do. When in fact, an MBA is actually two years for you to figure out what you want to do next. And I qualify that mm-hmm. with next because, you know, most of us were taught uh, that we would like pick that one thing and that's what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. But we're no longer in that world of work. We don't, our careers are not going to be lifetime careers. We're going to make multiple changes. And so, you know, when, you, when you're going to get an MBA as a, as a career change path, it's one of many, it's often assumed that people know what they want to do. But in fact, I learned a lot of people didn't know what they want to do, but this was the path to figuring it out. Okay. So they didn't know what they wanted to do. And mm-hmm. they're on a path to figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to hear about, you know, uh, doubt in particular. So you've got a book titled Punch Doubt in the Face. <laughs> yeah. But let's hear about some of that emotional stuff. When, when people are, are, are changing careers and they're feeling the doubt, like yeah. w- what are the sorts of insecurities or self-talk or, or, or things that you hear in terms of how that's showing up? Sure. Well, I think starting off, you know, career changes, for most of us, like I said, we've been taught to kind of just pick this one thing, 
right? And you're just going to do it for the rest of your life. And that's what our parents did. But that's not reality anymore. And honestly, I'd argue it's not really the reality for some of our parents too, depending on how you grew up. Mm. And so the first thing that people go through when they're thinking of changing careers is kind of this feeling of loneliness, like, oh my God, I, I failed, right? They feel like they, they, they didn't make it work or they're, they're feeling like nobody else could possibly understand this because, you know, we're bombarded by messages of success and everybody else doing it right. And I think we're also in a culture that doesn't share when we're failing in a career. And I'd qualify that we're not failing. You're not failing if you're not doing it right, right? It's okay to change jobs. And I think this doubt comes from that feeling that we should figure it out. We should be able to make it work. And so when it comes time to change, you know, people feel like they can't quite do it. And on top of it, it's not like we teach people how to change careers. I don't have an MBA, but when I got to working, when I was at Yale and I, you know, am part of an MBA program that teaches people how to change careers, I was shocked by what they taught people. You know, I had changed careers multiple times and nobody taught me how to do it. I kind of had to figure it out, right? Go against the grain almost. And so a lot of people have doubt about changing careers because they haven't really been taught how to do it. The other piece is that, you know, if you've been a career changer before or talked to career changers, you know, a lot of times when you tell people you want to make a change, they want to know, well, what specifically will you do? Right. They want answers right away because it can make people feel uncomfortable when you don't have an answer. Right. So, so I'm telling you that I want to make a career change. And then you ask me, what do I do? Well, what do you want to do? And, and so you're saying, I, the career changer, am comfortable or my conversational partner's uncomfortable or both of us are uncomfortable? Well, probably at this point, it'll be <laughs> both of us. But a lot of times when a career changer says, oh, I want to make a change, one of two things happens. The conversational partner will be like, oh, oh, great. Well, what do you want to do? That puts a lot of pressure on that career changer to have an answer. And a lot of career changers don't actually have an answer in the beginning, right? They have an inkling. They have a feeling like this is not right. This is not working for me. And there's a variety of reasons we could go into as to why it's not working. But they might, when they first start talking about it, and I actually had this conversation with a friend, you know, uh, a couple of days ago who said her partner was like, well, just go do it. Just go do it. And she's like, I mean, the problem isn't that I can't go do it. The problem is, is I don't know what it is, right? And so career changers really mm -hmm. need to make space for themselves to really hold space for ambiguity. And that space that says, I know I want to make a change. I just don't know where, what it is yet. And then commit to kind of figuring that out. And I think doubt really starts to creep in when people say, well, what do you want to do? And if you don't have an answer, that can cause you to be like, oh my God, you know, I can't do this. I don't know what I want to do. And then we start going back into kind of that negative feeling of being, you know, real stuck without without a path forward. Okay, well, well, I want to dig into sort of each of the stages here from mm -hmm. I'm sensing a change may be necessary to I'm figuring out what that thing is to yeah. I'm landing the job. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe to tee up that arc, could you perhaps share with us a, a cool story associated with someone who made an awesome change and, and how that unfolded for them? Sure. Well, there's been a couple of them. I, I'll just tell you the story from my own, only because I've, I'm a four-time career changer. I um, recently went from being a career coach to I now work as a conversation designer for an AI startup. So I work for an artificial intelligence startup. And what that means is I spend a lot of my time using qualitative analysis skills to improve the product. And it's an emerging job. And it's a job that is there's no clear path for. And I knew I wanted to go into artificial intelligence because I'm relentlessly curious about new technology. And I spent the better part of a year after I, I left career coaching 
to start to understand some of these AI products in the market. I was reading about them. I started reading industry trends. I started listening to podcasts. And then I started writing about them. I started writing about what I was reading in the news about artificial intelligence in the workplace. I started to narrow down my interests because when we talk about artificial intelligence, that's like a huge topic, right? And I started to narrow it down into something that was a little more tangible, something that that aligned with my background. And um, that was in HR. So looking at how does HR use artificial intelligence in the workplace? And so again, I started diving into these products, writing about them. I started taking online courses to learn about artificial intelligence, not necessarily as an, as an engineer, but from the business perspective. And then finally made the jump into a startup because I saw a job that was written for what I could do. It wasn't necessarily written exactly for my background, but I knew I could do it based on all the studying and the writing I'd done and my previous skill set. And so I applied and I got the job and I have now shifted into a new path. And that is almost textbook for (laughs) how someone should go about making a career change. It starts with your curiosity, right? We start specifically, Mm -hmm. what are you curious about? Well, I'm curious right now, what a, <laughs> Nicole, I, I've got some curiosity associated with what a conversational designer is. Oh, so yeah. just, just so we can get closure on that point <laughs> before we, we dig into your wisdom elsewhere. Sure. What does that mean? So conversation designer is someone who works on a chat bot. So the chat bot is okay. right um, it, to improve it, to make it, I tell people I make it sound more human. So I look for where the mistakes are at and report those mistakes back to the AI team. I also um, write scripts to make it sound better um, for different contexts. And then I review the conversations to ensure, you know, that the user experience is a, is a positive one. Okay. So it's a hybrid job. It's a mix up of, of, of writing, user experience, and just having a technical understanding of how natural language processing works. So again, I'm not an engineer, but I know how to work with engineers in order to make recommendations. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Well, also let's, let's go through the arc then. So yeah. when someone is... In the midst of being in a career, mm-hmm. not quite sure if they're feeling it. Yeah. I think it might be time for a change. What do we do now? What do we do now? Well, one, first, like I said, uh, make space. So claim that space um, and get comfortable with it, right? Get comfortable with the idea that you're going to make a change because depending on people's level of risk, that could be a big deal or it could just be like, yeah, I'm going to change things up. No big deal, right? That's going to be very personal depending on who the person is. Then I want you to take time to figure out what you're interested in because a lot of times when people are going into a career change, they're doing it from a place of either being stuck They might feel unmotivated. I've talked to people who are in toxic work environments and that can have um, a real detrimental effect on your confidence level. And so really taking the space to reflect on the things that you're interested in professionally. You could do some personal interest, but really what excites you about work? Self-reflection is pretty critical in this stage and carving out space to do that self-reflection. And you'll notice that's a theme. I talk a lot about carving out space and that's because we're all very busy people right? We're managing a lot of different projects and people and our personal lives. And so taking the time for ourselves to step back and say, okay, wait a minute, what do I want in my job? You know, and and there's a series of reflection questions in the book, but, you know, really looking through it through the lens of who do I want to work with? What type of work do I like to do? How do I want my manager to treat me? Right? These are all things that you can reflect on without actually knowing what it is you want to go do. Right? Mm-hmm. So, really taking a step back and making that space for yourself to self reflect. Then start looking at, okay, what are the opportunities? Oh, and if, if I may. Yeah. When we're making space and, and self reflecting, mm-hmm. you, you listed a couple questions. Uh, what have you found to be some of the, the surprise, super winning questions that tend to 
surprisingly surface insight frequently? Sure. I think one of one of my favorite ones is what kind of work would you like to do? So a lot of times we tend to think of our work as job titles. Like I want to be a, you know, travel writer or I want to be a firefighter. No, think about the work. What does the work look like? What does it feel like? Right. You know, and this gets into things like, do you want to be in front of a computer all day versus would you like to be like building trails out in the wilderness? Right. I think getting in depth about how you'd like to work and then also thinking about what would you like the company to be like? I think this is another powerful one because we tend to think of, you know, again, our our job titles. But like, I know so many people that are trying to get out of toxic work environments. <laughs> and, you know, that can be a, a big catalyst for changing careers and changing jobs, but also changing careers. And we start to talk about, well, what is, what, how would you like to be treated by a company? Right? What would it look like? What are the values that you're looking for in a place of work? Right? And that leads to other questions like, how would you like your coworkers to be? And for some people, they might say, I don't really care about my coworkers. And that's okay because that's, you know, for you, if that's your preference of work, that's fine. But we need to at least dig into it and figure out what it is because most people are just like, I need to find a job. And we're not thinking about the environment in which, in which that job takes place. And that has a, as, as you know, you know, as we all know, culture has a huge effect on, on our workplace and our daily jobs. I really like the point you brought up about the coworkers mm. there. Like you might not care. And maybe the main thing you want from your coworkers is for yeah. them to leave you alone so you can have long stretches of, you know, creative time, right. problem solving time or, or, or whatever. Or maybe the main thing you want from your coworkers is, is lots of fun, collaborative, you know, back and forth stuff. And, or maybe you want your coworkers to, to give you tons of feedback and tell you all the things that you're doing that can be improved upon. And maybe right. you don't because that's really stressful and anxiety provoking for you. Yeah. Even that, just what you, all those things that you just said though, those were great examples because within that you're getting insight. So maybe you do want a bunch of coworkers because you want to be able to collaborate and there it is right there. Collaboration. That's one of your values. You want to be able to collaborate with people. So you want to make sure that, it, you know, a job that you're going into, that you're going to be able to have that, right? And chances are you might actually be good at that. So that's something that you could, a skill that you can work on, right? In your job, or maybe you like the deep work. And so, you know, you realize that you need to have a job where you going to be able to, you know, I find this, I work with engineers, so that deep work piece is really valuable there, right? They need to block out three to four hours to code, right? And so again, within this reflection, you know, even by thinking about what your coworkers are like, you discover things about yourself and how you like to work. Okay. So there we go. We've done some reflection. And then you said <laughs> next up is opportunities. Yes. So this is where it starts to get interesting. One of the things that always surprises me is that we tend to look at our opportunities as only in the context of, you know, what's in front of us, right? I was having a conversation with one of my friends who's a firefighter and she had said to me, you know, what's interesting about firefighting is that, you know, there's a lot of customer service involved. And I went, wait, what? <laughs> Which is like, yeah. She goes, you have to go, you show up to a scene. You have to, obviously you're triaging, but you're trying to understand what has happened and you're trying to help the person who called you. And she's like, a lot of it is frontline customer service. And I had never thought about firefighting in that way. And it really was an aha moment for me because, you know, a lot of us, we tend to make assumptions about jobs, whether because we're familiar with them or maybe it's the hot job of the moment, but without knowing what those jobs actually are. Another good example, I met tons of MBAs that wanted to do product management. Hot job, right? Consistently high paying job, usually um, over six figures, um, very in demand job. And then I'd ask them, I'd say, well, what, you know, what about product management interests you or what, where do you think, you know, you do well in that role? And they'd say, oh, uh, I don't know. And it's like, well, okay, we got to get to know 
what these jobs are. And I think as a career changer, you know, going back to kind of that pressure to figure it out, you have to give yourself space to be able to figure out what these jobs are. So really diving into the opportunities. And there's two really key ways to do that. I call this exploring the field of possibilities. One is simply reading job descriptions. This is a tool someone gave me years ago, like 10 years ago. And I thought they were crazy. I was like, why would I spend my time reading job description? They're boring. But come to find out, they're like mini stories, right? They're, they're companies telling you a story about themselves. Uh, some of them tell really bad stories, right? Badly written job descriptions. And some of them tell you really good ones. And instead of looking at job descriptions as, can I do this or not? Most people will talk themselves out of it. What you should be looking at is, does this interest me? Is this the type of work that interests me? right? It's a very different mindset from reading job descriptions, looking for a job, right? And that's where you start getting into like, oh, this is a job I've never heard of before. This is a type of work that I didn't even know existed, right? Conversation design being one of them (laughs) that I'm currently in. So that's Mm -hmm. one of the ways to do it. And, And I'm not talking like spending hours. I'm talking like build 10 minutes into your day to read some job descriptions based on keywords that you're interested in. So let's say you're interested in pinball, right? (laughs) I don't know (laughs) what jobs they would be because I haven't looked, but I would put pinball into a job search engine and see what jobs come up. You know, Nicole, it's hilarious (laughs) that you you mentioned job searching in pinball because it's actually come up before on the show, episode 167 (laughs) with Nick Campbell. What are the odds? Wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I feel so connected now. But please continue pinball exploring. <laughs> right. So so you could go into any job search engine and just put in pinball. Or maybe you're a writer and you want to get into pinball writing, right? Put those keywords in there and then read the job descriptions. What are they asking for? The key point of this is to not talk yourself out of it. You can't be going, well, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. Of course you're not qualified, right? Like it's you're at the beginning of a career um, change. And in one of the parts of a career change is once you've figured it out, you have to then go get the skills that qualify you. That's a whole different step. But right now you're just looking at what are the possibilities. And so start making a list and familiarize yourself. That's one way to do it. The second way to do it, and this is this is actually my preferred way to do it. I want you to do both, but it's through conversations. There's an exercise in my book. My book has a ton of exercise in it. It's called 50 Conversations. And in it, I assign you the task of interviewing 50 people about their jobs. And in the past, we've heard a lot about, you know, informational interviewing. This is that, but but dialed back. It's more of an exploratory conversation just to learn what people do. I have a really good example of this. I used to be a travel writer for a private jet travel company. It was a job I fell in. And it was a really interesting job and I enjoyed it. I didn't get to travel much despite the title. And at the time I was interviewing someone from the staff and that person told me that his job was a travel scout. I was like, what's a travel scout? This guy's job was to travel to different locations around the world and scout them out for our tour company. So he would travel to, we were in luxury travel, he would travel to luxury locations, stay in their hotels, try out their activities, write a report and send it back to the product team. And I went, oh my God, that's a job that exists, Hmm. right? You know, and it was like just this, again, this aha moment of like, there are so many jobs out there that we don't know exist. And so you have to go out and investigate the opportunities. You can't just sit there and say, well, I don't know. I don't know what fits me. And then just stay with it. You have to discover and seek out different types of job. Because when you start talking to people and, you know, ask them what they do, but more importantly, how they got into it, it starts to become so much more interesting. And then you can start mapping yourself 
to some of those paths. You can start opening up possibilities and seeing yourself in those paths. And then sometimes, you know, someone might give you an answer and you'll be like, that's definitely not what I want to do, right? Like, (laughs) and that's just as valuable. And when you're having these 50 conversations, Mm -hmm. again, I'm curious about what are some of the the top questions that really surface a a good view of, of what those jobs you know, look, sound, feel like in practice. Yeah. So a lot of times people don't want to engage in these conversations because it's the, well, what do you do? Right. And that feels so superficial. And a lot of times people don't add follow-up questions to that. So it's the ability to add a follow-up question and say, you know, for example, in your case, you did it really well, right? You were, you were like, well, what is a conversation designer? Right. I have a lot of people where I say, oh, I'm a conversation designer. And they're like, oh, cool. I was like, okay, you know, (laughs) right. You don't really think it's cool or you would have asked more. Uh, Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, we all do that, right? Uh, You know, and I'm not faulting anyone for that because, you know, uh, conversation is tough. But really, if you want to get to the bottom of it, it's the ability to ask good follow-up questions. Say, well, that's really interesting. Tell me, if you don't know what it is, what does that look like in your everyday job? How did you get into that is an even better question for career changers, right? Because that's where the path starts to unravel. I have found people say things like, you know what, I just fell into it. Or, you know what, I um, went back to school and went to a boot camp and then that taught me these skills and I was able to combine it with what I did before and get a job, right? There are so many different paths into careers nowadays. And that's what I love about our new world of work. It's not like our parents' generation where you were like stuck on kind of this one path and you had to go get like an MBA or a law degree to change, right? Those are professional degree programs that were designed for career changers. We have so many more paths. And so when you start to ask people, how did you get into that work? You start to see those paths and you start to see what you can and cannot do, right? If someone says, well, I went back to school for four years to be a doctor, that might not be your path right? Or maybe it is, right? I interviewed someone, I have a podcast for career changers, and I interviewed someone who went back to school to be a chiropractor. And that took four years. And that's after they'd been in the workforce for a long time. And so this is a very personal decision. And that's why I think being able to talk to people about why they made their change, what their path was like to get there, and really ask those meaty follow-up questions, not only is it valuable for you in the beginning, but it's also impactful. It gives you connection and it gives you motivation. Because going back to the beginning where I talk about some career changers and their doubt, they feel alone, right? And so being able to talk to people, it can be so motivational you know, to hear Mm -hmm. how they did it. And that's where I think the value is in conversations. And as I write in the book, I was like, you might think I'm crazy for saying 50 conversations and that you can't do that. But I've met people when I was a coach before who, you know, did 100 conversations. And the insights from them were just incredible. And you can see their eyes light up and they talk about where they were before they had those conversations versus where they were after they'd had those conversations. Okay. So then... Let's say you've had those conversations Mm -hmm. and then you found an opportunity that sounds super cool. Yes. And you would want that job to become yours. Yes. What do you do next? Okay. So then it's a process of figuring out, okay, where are we at in terms of, you know, qualifications for most career changers? And again, there's a variety. So I'm generalizing here. But if you're looking to make a big change and do in, let's say you're going into a new industry, a new role, it's time to take, uh, assess your skills. And this is really diving into what your skills are, what you're good at, what maybe you're not so good at. And then knowing what the skills are for that next job on the new career path, right? So it's really looking at both your skill set, the skill set required to get the next job, and then analyzing your skills gap. What skills are you missing? 
So for example, if I talk to a lot of career changers that are looking to get into tech, right? You know, we look at, okay, is this going to be a tech position where you want to become a software engineer or a user experience designer? Or is this something where maybe you're not working on a technical product, you want to be tech adjacent? Maybe you want to go into digital marketing and you just need to learn, you know, some basics on digital marketing, right? It's really trying to figure out where your skill set is at and what skills you need in order to get the job, because that's going to be the driver for how you choose a learning experience. And the learning experience is the program that's going to give you the skills you need to make your career transition. And program can take many different flavors. Absolutely. particular educational credential degree uh-huh. or volunteering Absolutely. or can you maybe get, show us some of the other angles and formats that can take? Definitely. I think this is what gets me so excited because I dedicate a huge part of the book to it is walking through these, these examples because again, people tend to think of kind of that old school mindset. Well, I got to go back to school for four years or I got to go get a master's degree. Those are possibilities, but there's also all these other ones. We've got online programs. And not only do we have online programs, we have short-term programs, which are what I call the skill building programs. So maybe you're just going, let's say it is digital marketing and you need to know the basics. You could take a, you know, three month course for, you know, $450 and boom, you've got a learning community. You've got, you know, skills that you're learning and a portfolio that you're coming out with, right? That's a three month program intensive. Or you could do something like Coursera. Coursera is a, you know, huge learning platform or Udemy or Udacity. Some of them have longer term online programs. Some you can take for free. Some are a nominal investment, right? You learn on your time. You might get a credential out of them. Those are also passed. And then you've got the wide world of boot camps, (laughs) which can be on campus or online depending on, again, you want to get comfortable with understanding your learning style because for some people, online is ideal. They're like, yes, I can do it whenever I want. And others are like, no, I need that immersive on campus. I need people around. That's kind of dictate uh, what learning experience you you choose. But those are also options as well. And those boot camps really run a range from, you know, a year-long program to a six, three months, three to six months stint. It really depends on your program. That's an option for career changers as well. I think most boot camps are made for career changers, right? They're made for people that want to level up oftentimes in their digital skills or in their data fluency skills. And then you have the entire world of DIY learning through YouTube and podcasts and newsletters. If you're looking to get into an industry and you don't know where to start, being able to watch videos from that industry, subscribe to industry newsletters, listen to podcasts. My God, the amount of podcasts, as you probably know, right, on subjects that you can just dive into and immerse yourself in these worlds. You don't have to go back to school for that, right? So these are all your options for learning. And, and if that sounds overwhelming, that's fair. It is overwhelming, <laughs> right? We are swimming in opportunities to learn new skills, to learn new, new ways of work and new industries. And your goal as a career changer is to really sort through all of that and figure out what's going to be the best learning experience that's going to A, get you where you want to be, right? Your career goal, but B, also work for your learning style. Okay. And, and so then when we're talking about learning, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there are some very particular skills that you need to acquire for a given role that you yeah. zeroed in on. I'd also love to get your take on, on what are some of the, the top skills that uh, here now in the year 2020, yeah. every professional just really needs to be okay with or excellent at to, to stay nimble, agile, and uh, adaptable and 
These are synonyms. Uh, yes. Able to, to capitalize on many opportunities. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, and you hit it right on the head there to stay agile because that's what we're doing right now. We're heading into the age of the agile worker, the people that collect skills and apply them in different contexts, right? It's no longer kind of that siloed, I do this one thing. Right. And so there's there's four skills that I'll say consistently. I call them the power skills. It's communication, digital fluency, data fluency and creativity. And these are all very big buckets. When I talk about communication, you know, it's this ability to meet audiences where they're at. It's an ability to write for diverse audiences on different channels. Um, if you've I use this example a lot. If you've ever had a manager that sent you a 500 word email that nobody read. That's a really good example of someone that doesn't know how to communicate, right? It's the ability to synthesize your ideas and present them to people who are maybe outside of your department or team, right? The ability to speak publicly about your ideas, persuade others to get on board. That becomes more relevant as you move up in your into leadership and so on. And again, I, I talk about these skills. You don't have to have them all right now, but they are a set of skills that, that are going to allow you to work across both functions and careers as you move forward in your career. And with digital fluency and data fluency, yeah. can you give us some of the huge sub uh, categories within those? Absolutely. So there's been a big push, obviously, to learn to code. And depending on what your age, you may have been involved in learning the code, you may not have. I certainly advocate for learning the basics of code and picking a language and just learning the basic syntax and how you think through it and the logic. But if that's not as accessible to you right now, because um, I know some people are like, you know what, that just doesn't have a use case in my job. That's fine. At least learn what the languages are and how they're applied in the context of projects. So for example, online, Harvard offers an intro to computer science, where in, across, I think, all nine weeks, they go through all the programming languages. And it's really insightful because it shows you just the different, all the different use cases that programming languages are applied in the context of your organization. And for people, you know, as we look at the future of work, our work is becoming interdisciplinary. It's no longer siloed. In fact, Harvard Business Review just had a big article in September on a cross-silo leadership and about how leaders need to ensure that their employees are working on projects that cross functions, that cross teams, so they can build up collaboration skills, problem-solving skills, and so on. And so if you think about you, you know, I'm, I'm speaking not in the leadership term right now, but you as the employee, mm -hmm. your ability to work with engineers, to understand how software works in your organization. I talk a lot about automation tools in my book, to understand how automation tools are being implemented in your place of work. That's critical. And I know there have been people in organizations that I've, I've obviously come across in my work that have said things like, oh, technology, and they kind of like make a face like, I don't want to deal with it. And that's funny, but in the course of career, you need to lean into the technology and understand it. You don't have to know how to code it, but you need to understand how it works and understand how it affects your work and the organization as a whole. So that's briefly on digital fluency. Data fluency, very brief, understanding how data is used in the context of your organization right? Managers being able to make decisions based on data, right? Quantitative data, being able to understand where data comes from in your organization and how it's being used to make decisions about your job. Uh, how are you measuring things? Are you collecting data from users? What is the data? And so on. That's kind of a broader topic <laughs> that always gets like a lot of questions. So I don't want to dwell on it too much, but just to summarize the role of data in the workplace cannot be overestimated right now. Um, I think we all have heard that from our personal lives, right? We hear a lot about data that's being collected about us. The same thing is happening in the workplace. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so so those are the skills. Yeah, and go forth and learn them. Yes. Well, well now let's let's hit the the, the final step here. Mm-hmm. You you got you know what you want. You've got the skills to get it, and yes. then you are kind of actually job hunting. Yes. Resumes, right. cover letters, networking, interviews. Can we hear some of your, your top tips here? Sure. One thing I would, I'll, I'll note too on this job searching piece, this is where a lot of the doubt starts to come in because you're like, oh, I don't have the experience. I don't have the experience, you know, and this is where you really want to lean on, you know, the fact that you've, you've already done the hard work, right? You've done the work to learn new skills, figure it out. So this is just completing the process. And I say that because the job search is pretty terrible, right? It can be really terrible, especially to career changers because that doubt starts to creep in. So I want to acknowledge that that happens. The second thing I want to talk about is the job search in itself is changing. There are new tools that are being used that use artificial intelligence and automation that are shifting how we search for jobs. So now we're seeing tools that come into the hiring process that um, I was just learning about one the other day that is taking social data and scraping it and making predictions about you as a new hire. Wow, geez. And that's a really ethically a problem, but it's a bit, um, I actually write about it in the book, but this demonstrates just kind of the experiments that are happening right now with AI in regards to hiring. We see it with HireVue. Um, they are a company that does video interviews where you interview with a video and an algorithm analyzes your 25,000 data points to see if you are a fit for the job. Now, this isn't going to be all jobs. Based on the uh, the video interview. Exactly, exactly. So you're essentially just interviewing with a video, <laughs> like with your camera, with pre-written questions, you give your answer, and then an algorithm will evaluate you. The uh, Wall Street Journal wrote about this a couple months back. And again, I, I highlight these to really show these are some of the extremes, but they are being used. And so the world of work, as I talk about, you know, the future of work, it's already here. These same tools with automation AI are starting to affect your job search. So yes, a resume is important. It will always, for the near future, be very important. So we'll cover letters. But that's where your networking really comes in. It's the ability to build relationships with people inside of organizations, right? All that work, if you do the 50 conversations exercise. The other benefit of doing that is that you get comfortable having conversations with strangers. You build your conversational skills. You get comfortable asking strangers for advice, right? And you get comfortable talking about yourself. And really, networking is is that exchange of information, right? Tell me about your organization. Tell me about your work. And then also, let me tell you about me. And it's not, you know, something huge. It's a brief sentence. It's your story. Who are you? What are you interested in? What do you, why did you make this change? And what motivates you? right? Having that story. And so all of these pieces fit together, but they're all more important, even more important now because of uh, automation in the hiring process, because companies, mostly bigger companies right now, not so much smaller businesses, but mostly bigger companies and corporations are using new technology that changes the nature of the job search. So your resume might not be enough. And so I would encourage any career changer to get comfortable building a one-pager website that defines you how you want to be defined, right? If you've ever had, you know, had a resume and thought, this is not who I am, (laughs) right? A website is a chance to kind of show off a little more of you and really frame your career background and your story the way you want. And the other thing that it does is it shows employers, A, communication skills, B, it shows you can write for the web. And it's a beautiful thing to add into your email signature when you're conversing with people, right? Say, mm-hmm. hey, take a look at my website. And I was actually just on Wix, the free platform, uh, the other yeah. day uh, for my sister, who was curious about how to build a website for herself. And they have some great portfolios on there specifically for job seekers. And it's free. That's good. Thank you. So that would be my advice. <laughs>
All right. Well, well, tell me, Nicole, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I just want to say like to all the career changers out there, I always hear from people on the other side who are super thrilled that they did it. And I want to say that if you're thinking about doing it, it is completely worth it. Go for it. Don't let doubt stand in the way. You have a ton of resources out there to help you. So start taking the baby steps right now. Nicole's laying out a baby step approach to learning in career fields. I also recommend a baby step approach to learning a new instrument as provided by our sponsor, Fender Play. Did you know that learning an instrument has been shown to reduce stress, boost your immune system, and enhance brain development? Well, our sponsor, Fender Play, provides a complete online learning platform for a guitar, bass, and ukulele. Or is it ukulele? I believe they cool kids call it. With Fender Play, you can play your first song in just minutes using their short, easy-to-follow lessons that are taught by very personable, very knowledgeable master instructors. Fender Play takes a step-by-step, song-driven approach based on your own music taste and your schedule. If you're feeling country, they could do that. More rock, they could do that too. You can access Fender Play lessons from your phone, tablet, or computer, so you can easily pick up right from where you left off, wherever you left off. And I really do appreciate those baby steps. They start right from the very beginning and move bit by bit in terms of, hey, these are the strings of the guitar, and here are the sounds that they make, and here's what the pieces are called. I like that in engaging in the Fender Play lessons, I don't at all feel self-conscious about how I sound because they can't hear me over there. New members can try Fender Play free for two weeks and save 50% off the Fender Play annual plan. To snag the deal, you go to Fender.com slash podcast and use the offer code AWESOME at checkout. Quick note, this offer is only around for a pretty short time here. It ends, in fact, Monday, January 20th at midnight Pacific time. So to snag the deal while it lasts, you go to Fender.com slash podcast and use the offer code AWESOME to try it for free and save 50% off when you get the, the full plan and start learning today. So thank you, Fender Play, for sponsoring the show. All right. Well, now, Nicole, can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? It was actually when I wrote my book and I spent a lot of time on Twitter and I saw this quote by Ava DuVernay and someone had asked, any tips to stop thinking your writing is terrible? Going back to this kind of doubt. And she says, just know that everyone's writing is terrible until it's not. No one's stuff is right immediately. You got to work it, refine it, shape it, spend time with it. It's a relationship between you and what comes from you. Not easy, going to be terrible before it's not, and that's okay. And what I love about that is that it mirrors so much of what it's like to learn to do something, right? This ability to really sit with kind of that discomfort and know that, oh, it's not quite right. I'm learning. I got to figure it out and stay with it and build. That's what I took from that quote. And it's so relevant both for writers and also for those that are changing careers and having to learn something new. And have a favorite study or experiment or bit of research. Oh, yeah. I want to do just a book. <laughs> all right. Because it's uh, it, it's all of her research. It's called Reclaiming Conversations by Dr. Sherry Turkle. And um, it's, it's about um, it's ethnographic studies on how digital communication is reshaping our conversational skills. And she does it by family, by individual and in the workplace. So it's all of her research together in a book. And it was probably one of the most impactful books that I have read to this day on communication skills. Can you share with us one sort of mind-blowing discovery about how indeed digital stuff is reshaping our brains? One of the things that she had shared was just the mere presence of a phone on the table, even face down, disrupts the ability to get into deeper conversation. And I 
again, this wasn't a book that like shames for using phones by any means. It was like, let's talk about what's, what's actually happening in our conversation. And one of the things that, that she points out in that book is that our conversation is a skill. And because we spend our time in digital environments, Slack, email, text, social, all of those spaces, we're losing the ability to have open-ended conversations with each other. And it resonated because one of the top things I heard as a career coach was, but what should I say? What should I say? Mm-hmm. And hearing that from her kind of gave me validation to say, okay, this is this isn't just me that's experienced this. We're all kind of experiencing this. And it was, it was incredibly impactful. And now I work very hard on practicing my conversation skills and, and having those kind of ambiguous, open-ended conversations to make sure I, I can, you know, build relationships and, and engage with people. Okay. And can you share a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Things that I use to be awesome at my job. (laughs) Is it funny if I say LinkedIn? (laughs) Oh, no. LinkedIn is a fantastic. And how about a favorite habit? Oh, a favorite habit? Oh, I love walking. I walk. I walk because I need to get away from the screen and it's so hard to do that. But uh, walking is probably my absolute favorite thing to do. The clarity you get being outside. And I live in the rainy Pacific Northwest and I, I do rain walks. So, yeah. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? You hear them quote it back to you frequently? I will say, say yes to the conversation would be the, the top one. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? I would point them to either on Twitter, I'm at PDXNicole, N-I-C-O-L-L-E, or you can reach me through my blog, which is futureskills.blog. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? <laughs> yes, engaging conversations. I will challenge you to have 50 conversations with people, even if you're not looking for a new job, transform it into something you're curious about. All right, Nicole, this has been a ton of fun. I wish you lots of luck and enjoy designing conversations and all you're up to. (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate Nicole's insights and I really appreciate our sponsors. Check them out. I really appreciated Nicole's take on those 50 conversations because it's one way de-stressed when it's not immediately I am learning and seeking opportunities now, but you can start that exploration earlier and really create more comfort and space for curiosity and, and gathering what you need to gather. It's also a great way to ensure that you don't end up regretting where you land. I have talked to folks who spent a lot of time and money going to law school or med school, then they got in the thick of things after a year or two or three and said, "Uh uh-oh, this isn't what I wanted. 50 conversations could save you much, much more time and disappointment when you realize, ooh, that's not actually the thing that I thought I wanted after all. So great stuff from Nicole. The show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F535. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. If you do, you'll catch our next guest. It's Julian Treasure. He's back for more talking about how to listen and how to be heard. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. 
If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.